they were all shut off because of that long stream from Sunday. All right, can y'all check Facebook? Make sure we're thumbs up on Facebook there. Uh, you probably didn't see all that with the intro there. <laughs> so uh, hopefully uh, you did what you normally do uh, and have your prayer list uh, downloaded there. Uh, we mentioned all that earlier. We had some issues with the live stream going forward. Uh, we didn't get our live stream cut off from last week, uh, from last Sunday. Um, and so we shut it off, but we didn't. And so now it's up. So if you're there, give us a comment in, on Facebook there. Uh, and I know that's probably why Leanne sent me hers. Uh, as a text there, and I'll share that with you uh, in just a moment. But if you've got your prayer list, go to the church website, highlandbaptistchurch.com, info tab. That's where you can download this. Uh, if you're at home there, get that downloaded, and you can follow along uh, with us. Uh, in person, uh, let's just go through some of these that I wanted to share with you and add the one Leanne shared with me through a text. She's also put it on Facebook herself, uh, but wasn't able to put it there because we weren't on the stream yet. Uh, but remember Gil Williams, uh, he's still healing from his uh, car wreck. Uh, he uh, will go, if everything goes well with one of the tests he has to do this week, uh, he will have his surgery next week on his ankle. Uh, so keep him in your prayers with that. Uh, Amy Jackson is still getting better uh, each day with her, her ankle. She's still got to wear her boot uh, on it. And then uh, Lauren, does she have her thing still coming up the 10th? Okay, so remember Lauren. Uh, as she has her surgery, surgery, right? Just doctor's visit on her ankle uh, to follow up there on that. And then I don't know how she does it, but Ms. Pat Gaddis, <laughs> she had surgery yesterday on her knee and she's here uh, tonight uh, walking, no pain, she said. And <laughs> so that's, that's great uh, and awesome. But uh, we just continue to remember her in prayer that everything goes uh, well there. Uh, the others that I want to share with you are on the other side on the friends and family. Uh, David Kohler, I forgot to tell Amy because uh, I was in a hurry to get my message finished tonight, uh, but I just jotted down the ones to make sure we put on the prayer list. David Kohler is uh, Pastor Matt's dad. Uh, he has a kidney stone, and so remember him in your prayers. We just forgot to put out beside it what his uh, situation was. Uh, Audrey, uh, hers is actually her wrist uh, that was fractured, and so she is in a cast. Uh, but it's one of those, I've never heard of it before, that you can get wet. And they've told her every day you have to get it wet. And so she's swimming in the pool <laughs> every day. Uh, she loves it. And so uh, she sent us a video yesterday uh, or day before yesterday uh, doing flips underwater forward and doing flips underwater backwards. So she's doing good but has her pink, hot pink cast uh, on. But just continue to remember her. She has to wear that for three weeks and then a splint for two weeks uh, after that. Uh, and then also the family of Isaac Osborne, you may have heard that or not heard that as Brother Ken mentioned that uh, this past Sunday, uh, that uh, this was a young man uh, who I did him and his wife's wedding uh, and their counseling back um, la uh, July, four years ago, July 5th, 2015 is when I did their wedding. He was in a car accident on Thursday. Um, we got the word while we were uh, at a wedding um, and he... Um, fell asleep, drifted across the line, hit a semi head on, uh, left behind a, a wife of 26 years old and a one and a half year old uh, baby. And they had asked me to come and uh, do the service. He had, uh, he had told me uh, four years ago when 
uh, him and his wife were getting married that if I didn't come to his wedding, he wouldn't get married. <laughs> and that's what he told her. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, things had been great there. And he, uh, he had, had had a lot of struggles over the years, but was following the Lord and, and seeking to grow closer with the Lord. So just keep that family uh, in your prayers. Uh, in particular, that family, his mother, uh, her uh, husband passed away about four months ago. And so they've had a lot uh, here in this last uh, year. And, and then also the one that Leanne Wells sent uh, to me in a text was uh, for her grandmother, Mary Wells. She fell today in her driveway and is at Vanderbilt with a brain bleed. So please keep her in your prayer. She turned 94 uh, and was doing so good, she said. So uh, keep her in your prayers. That's Mary Wells, who's the grandmother uh, of Leanne Wells. Any others that we need to add or any other updates that we have? I'll see if I can get back over to Facebook at least to catch any of your prayer requests that you might have there. And I don't see any there, so. Just be sure if you're there on Facebook or you're there on any of the others, go to Facebook and comment. We'll check, the ser check at the end of the service uh, to make sure uh, that we don't miss any of those requests. And I don't see any from here. Any updates on any? Are there any that we can even remove from the list? Uh, let us know that. Uh, do keep us in prayer as we're getting ready to go uh, on the Calgary uh, mission trip. Uh, there's myself and Dwayne and Ella who are going from our church. There's about four or five others who are going from the association. Uh, we're going to be leaving on July the 16th, coming back on the 23rd. Uh, so keep us in your prayers as we uh, go up there to do some work with some of the new church plants uh, that are there. So keep us in your prayers for that. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get right into our passage tonight. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for who you are and for the many blessings that you've given to us. Thank you for your presence tonight and that you're with us here. You're with all of these individuals that we're praying for uh, as we're uplifting them to you, Lord. We know that you're there with them also. You're a great and a mighty God. And, and with our issues that maybe we are uplifting to you and all of these individuals, there's none of these things. And there's no amount of these things that are too great for you to handle all at once. And so we just come to you tonight, Lord, and we ask, Lord, for your presence to be with each and every one of these individuals. Show your power in a great and mighty way. We know you're the great physician, and so we uplift them to you, and we ask, Lord, for your will to be done, for your name to be glorified and honored. We pray, God, that you will... Uh, Use these situations that each one is going through uh, to bring them closer to you, to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior if they're lost, uh, or to be strengthened in their walk uh, with you as they're going through these difficult times. Lord, I pray for those who have lost loved ones uh, in these days that you will just send your Holy Spirit, who is the great comforter, to comfort their hearts uh, and to walk, walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death. And Father, we just pray that uh, as we've mentioned these names that we've mentioned tonight, and there are many others who are on this list, we know you know each one of them. You know even more in detail the situation 
that each one of them is facing. And we know that there are many times multiple things that go along with the physical uh, situations that we're praying for. Sometimes there are spiritual issues. Other times there are family or financial issues. So we lift all of those things up and ask for you, Lord, to shower each and every one of these individuals with your grace. Uh, Lord, you've told us in your word that your grace is sufficient for all of our needs. And so we ask, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy uh, to be upon each one of these. We ask, Lord, for you to use us in whatever way that we can to be an encouragement to these individuals. But, Lord, we pray that they will find their strength uh, in, in you uh, as they walk through these difficult times. And, Father, we just praise you and thank you so much for the answer to prayers for those who have already gone through surgeries, uh, for those who are continuing to heal. Uh, we give you the glory and the honor for what you're doing in their lives. Thank you for those that you've given to us uh, and given us the wisdom and discernment uh, like doctors and nurses and caregivers and many others uh, who help to take care of us. Father, thank you for each one of those, and we ask a special blessing upon them. Give them wisdom and discernment and the proper care that each one of these individuals need. But we know, God, that you are ultimately that great physician, so we place them into your hands. Father, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins and cleanse us, Lord. Uh, hear these prayers that we're uplifting to you. Father, we pray that you'll cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore. Uh, Father, even though we know that we have an accuser who is accusing us daily uh, before the throne, Father, we pray that we will realize and, and understand as believers that the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for our sins. It is the final payment and we are no longer uh, under the guilt of that sin when we bring it before you and we confess it uh, under the blood of Jesus Christ. So, uh, Lord, we pray that you will help us to live in that confidence, to come before your throne of grace in that confidence, knowing that we're not worthy, but, Lord, you have made us worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray your special blessings upon us tonight. Uh, as we join to study your word here in the book of Revelation, uh, Lord, we know that there's that threefold blessing of those who read this word that will be blessed, those who hear this word will be blessed, and those who keep this word will be blessed. So help us, Lord, not only to just experience one or two, but to experience all three of those blessings by keeping your word. So lead us through your word in the book of Revelation in chapter 12 tonight. Uh, help us, Lord, to see your truth and to apply it to our hearts and to our lives. And we just ask, Lord, for your will to be done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said a while ago, don't forget your charts uh, that you have. Uh, tonight's message I've entitled, What's All the Fuss About? What's All the Fuss About? We're in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, we're actually in verse 1 through 17. I put too many ones on the screen there. But we're in verse 1 through 17, so the whole chapter 12. And chapter 12 here marks a new beginning, if you will, in the study of the book of Revelation. Uh, we're going to look at much of what we've already seen before, but we're also going to be seeing it from a new perspective. So in other words, what you've seen already in chapters 4 through 11, we've kind of been looking at it through a telescope, if you will. We've been looking at it afar off. Uh, but from chapters 12 through chapter 20, we're going to be looking at, at those things we saw in chapter 4 through 11 uh, really under a microscope, if you will. Uh, we've been given so far some very broad hints as to the character of this terrible period of time known as the Great Tribulation. But up to this point, John has, if you will, been painting with a very broad brush 
uh, in broad strokes. But now he begins to change to, to getting more to the details, painting with a different brush. It's as though he's kind of been painting uh, a house, but now he's painting the, the, the trim uh, in the house. It's kind of like, uh, remember Bob Ross? Everybody used to know Bob Ross and see Bob Ross. You'd see Bob Ross, he'd be painting things on the canvas, and you'd be like, what in the world is he fixing to paint? He always had mountains or some something like that in it. He always had what? Trees. <laughs> Trees. And you would begin to see he'd put little fine details. Uh, and he'd do that little palette there, and then he'd sprinkle some paint here and there. Well, you start many times like that, painting the backdrop of the canvas with broad strokes, but then you eventually have to get down to, to the details and painting, uh, going from maybe those scenes of mountains to, the, to painting the trees and getting more detailed. So up to this point, we've examined the character of the Great Tribulation. Uh, but now we're introduced more specifically to the characters in the Great Tribulation. Uh, we're introduced to what we'll call the terrible trinity, uh, if you will. Uh, Sun Tzu in his Art of War book wrote this principle and taught this principle. Know your enemy or face defeat. And so in chapter 12 of Revelation, we're going to meet the enemy. Uh, we're going to see some leading characters in this war between God and Satan. So if you have your charts, you'll notice uh, that we are already past the letters to uh, the seven churches. Uh, we are past the seven seals. The seventh seal has been opened. We're in the seven trumpets at that last trumpet uh, that was opened last week as the trumpet uh, sounded there. Uh, and you may not see all this on the screen uh, if you're at home. Uh, sorry about that. We've got some difficulties with that and, and streaming that. But uh, the, then you'll also see uh, in between there, you'll see the counterfeit trinity. Uh, you'll see the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Do you see that down at the bottom of that section? That's where we're at tonight uh, in that section. And so we're going through each one of these things leading up to the seven bowls. And then beyond all that comes the thousand-year reign, the great white throne judgment, the new heaven, and the new earth. And so uh, here in Revelation 12, we meet those leading characters in this war between God and Satan. We're introduced full force to Satan, the dragon, the Antichrist, uh, and the beast out of the sea. Uh, who, that's who the dragon, the Antichrist is, the beast out of the sea. We're introduced to the false prophet, uh, the beast out of the earth. Uh, and so with this introduction, we're going to be diving full force into the most terrible period in the history uh, of the world uh, that last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Now, Jesus himself said that it would be a time of trouble unlike any other time that the world has ever seen. Uh, but it will specifically be the time, uh, as he refers to, of Jacob's trouble. So what do you think when he says that it's the time of Jacob's trouble? What does he mean by that? It's more focused in this part on Israel. It's focused on his chosen people. And that's one of the focal points during this time. And the people who receive the brunt of the evil wrath of the devil will be the nation of Israel. And so the first thing that we're introduced to here 
Uh, the first character is this strange woman. This strange woman. Uh, John begins by introducing us to a woman. Now, this is more than just a matter of courtesy. It's more than just ladies first policy. Uh, this woman is one of the central figures of this apocalyptic drama who comes increasingly on the center stage as the curtain of time is drawn to a close. We're going to see a whole lot more about this woman as we continue on through the rest of this book of Revelation. The first thing I want you to see about this strange woman, uh, and sorry for those of you at home, I'll try to go slowly as I can to give you some of those points. Uh, even here, you won't see all of the biblical references uh, that I'll give you. We'll just be looking here at the ones in the book of Revelation, so you may want to jot some of those down so you can uh, go back to look at those. But I want you to see, first of all, about this woman, the sign of this woman, the sign of this woman. The first order of business is to identify this woman. Now, it's easy to see uh, when we read this. Let's just begin here uh, with chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, when you read that verse automatically it ought to pop out to you that this is not a literal woman. No woman could actually be clothed with the sun, have the moon as her pair of shoes, or wear 12 stars uh, for a hat. Uh, this language is plainly telling us that this is not a woman being depicted here. In fact, we're told that this woman is a great sign. A great sign appeared in heaven is the very first phrase that he uses. So he wants us to know from the very get-go, this is symbolic language. I'm describing something to you, personifying it to help you get the picture. It's not a literal woman, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a, a great sign here. A sign is a symbol of something else. So we know by her, both by her clothing and by the fact that she's referred to as a sign that we're dealing with something other than a real woman. The clue to, to the identity, though, of this woman is found in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9 through 11. Genesis 37, verse 9 through 11, where this same symbolic language and imagery uh, was once used. Uh, in Genesis 37, verse 9 through verse 11, it tells us, Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. Who is that? Joseph. You remember Joseph in Genesis. He dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So notice that description that he gives in the dream. Behold, I dreamed another dream. Behold, there's the sun, there's the moon, and there's the 11 stars that are bowing down to me. What did we see in this description in chapter 12, verse 1? We see the sun. We see the moon, and we see 12 stars. 
And so those 12 stars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So we can plainly see that this imagery is used to symbolize the nation of Israel. It's a description given all the way back in Genesis. So when John is writing this, the Jewish people would see this and they would realize, oh, yeah, I know who that is. That's us. That's Israel. Israel is God's sign nation. She is God's billboard, if you will, God's blueprint, God's yardstick. And this is what we need to understand. As Israel goes, so goes prophecy. You can measure the time on God's clock by keeping your eye on the nation of Israel. So this woman is none other than the nation of Israel herself. And this will be confirmed as we're going to look further at this woman. Verse 2, we see the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman in verse 2. Now, the child here, notice what it says here. She was pregnant and she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, who in the world is this child? Anybody got any guesses? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It's none other than Jesus because it was the nation of Israel that gives birth to the Messiah. Paul, in his uh, letters, uh, described the Israelites this way in Romans 9, verse 4 and verse 5. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Romans 9, verse 4 and verse 5. So it's from the Jewish nation, it's from the Israelites that the Messiah comes. And that's one of the good things about the nation of Israel, is the fact that the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah of this world came from them. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, Jesus is called the seed of the woman. The Messiah is called the seed of the woman. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 11, he's called the son of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 48 verse 9 and verse 10, he's called the son of the tribe of Judah. In Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17, he's called the star of Jacob. So over and over and over again in the scriptures, we're given a reminder that not only did God become a man, he also became a Jewish man. He became an Israelite. And one of the reasons why we ought to love the Israelites, if for no other reason, is because that it's through them that our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, comes from. And he has a special love for his people, the Israelites. Notice also, thirdly here about this woman, notice the sorrow of the woman. I mean, she's giving birth. That's a, a joyful occasion, but it's also a painful uh, occasion. So notice what verse 3 and verse 4 says. And another sign appeared in heaven. Here's another character. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. 
This great red dragon is none other than the devil himself. As we're going to see when we get over to verse 9, where the dragon is referred to as the devil, he's referred to as Satan. Uh, Here he's described as a red dragon. Now, that may be where sometimes we get our imagery of Jesus, uh, of Satan sometimes, is that he's this character who's all dressed in red, got the the pointy uh, horns on his head, got the the little tail. He's all red all over. He's got his pitchfork uh, with him. Red is the color of blood and the color of death. Uh, The second horse of death in Revelation chapter 6 that we've already read about uh, was red. And that refers to the fact that he kills and destroys and murders. Uh, Jesus said concerning the devil in John chapter 8 and verse 44 that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Then we're told that he has how many heads? Get your numbers chart. Seven. What does seven mean? Completeness. Completeness. Now, we, ha- we don't have a, a, a chart that tells you what words mean, but a head, what do you think you get from your head? What's in your head? Your brain. What's the, what else do you get from your brain? Wisdom. And so the head represents wisdom. So he is complete and full wisdom. Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 12 describes the beauty of the devil before he ever fell from heaven. The Bible says he was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. But after he fell, you're told in Ezekiel 28 and verse 17 that his wisdom was corrupted. So he's wise, but it's a corrupt wisdom. Then we read in this verse... Uh, in, in, in verse 3 there, that he has ten horns. Horns are the symbol of power. Uh, and, and it says seven, diade- seven diadems uh, are on his head. Diadems are the symbol of authority. Uh, so this tells us that the devil during this time will have complete power and dominion over this world. Jesus calls the devil in John chapter 12... And verse 31, John 12, 31, he calls him the prince or the ruler of this world. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, here's what Paul says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly Places. And so we get that picture of his dominion, of his rule, that he is a ruler. Uh, he is not the king of kings. He is a prince of this world. Uh, but this satanic ruler isn't alone. Because go back and look at what verse 4 says. Verse 4 says his tail drew down or swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she bore her child, he might devour it. So notice there in that first part there, stars are used symbolically uh, just like we use the word star today symbolically to refer to somebody important. We talk about movie stars. We talk about sports stars. When Satan rebelled against God, 
trying to usurp his throne and take over the kingdom of heaven, he was defeated in this attempt, cast out of heaven. But when he was, it tells us in the scripture there, one-third of heaven's angels were swept down with him, followed down with the devil. They revolted against their commander-in-chief and joined the forces with the devil in his effort to overthrow the king of the kingdom. These fallen angels went on to become what we refer to today as demons. So there's a tremendous amount of demons that roam this earth. One-third of the angels fell with the devil and became those demons. Now that would be discouraging to us at first, but notice one-third fell from heaven. How many were left in heaven? Two-thirds. Two-thirds didn't fall. That tells us there are two angels for every one demon. From the very moment that Satan came to this earth, he was ready to kill God's son. Israel's child, as soon as he was born. The devil even had his evil puppets, if you will, ready to do his dirty work. You remember you read about uh, in, in, in the birth of Jesus Christ, you remember about Herod uh, killing all those babies uh, that were under two years old uh, and uh, two years old and under, hoping in doing so he would be killing the most important baby, Mary's little lamb. Later in Jesus' life, a mob tried to throw Jesus off a cliff, but again, he was protected. Satan himself, do you remember the three temptations of the devil? One of those temptations, he tempted Jesus to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple, but Jesus refused. And so we read here uh, of the devil's hatred for Jesus and his hatred for the Jews. Now, the person that Satan hates more than anybody else in this world is Jesus. Uh, the people that Satan hates more than anybody else in this world are the Jews. Now, he doesn't hate Jesus because of the Jews. He hates the Jews because of Jesus. The most persecuted people on the face of this earth uh, are, are the Jews. Uh, he doesn't hate Jesus because of the Jews. He hates them. He hates the Jews because of Jesus. Uh, they have been persecuted all throughout history. And, and so don't ever take their persecution as a sign that they're not special to God. It's rather because they are special to God that they have been persecuted. So notice also about this woman, the son of the woman. Go to verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now this son, it's told to us there, will become a sovereign. Uh, this phrase is only spoken uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Uh, and, and so it was prophesied of Jesus in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 through verse 9. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's Psalm 2, verse 7 through verse 9. That prophecy is going to be fulfilled completely in the Lord Jesus Christ as we'll read in Revelation 19 and verse 15 where it says from his mouth 
comes a sharp sword for, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And so we get the picture there. He is going to rule, and he is going to rule with a rod of iron. He's not coming as a suffering servant this time. He's coming uh, to judge this world. Then we're giving a brief biographical sketch, if you will, of the highlights of Jesus' life in the remainder there of verse 5. Here we see the rise of Jesus. Notice that, that no man is mentioned here. Uh, notice verse 5 again. It says uh, that she gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations. Where's the father listed here? It's not. And so that reminds us, this, who is this speaking of? Mary. Uh, speaking of ultimately symbolically the nation of Israel uh, but there was only a woman it was only a woman mentioned here because Jesus was born of a virgin we see in these verses the resurrection notice what it says about her child what happened to her child was caught up was caught up uh, we see the rapture of Jesus as he was caught up to God. So there's those words again, uh, caught up. Uh, it's the same words that are used of the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. And then we see the reign of Jesus as he's caught up to where? To his throne, to the throne of God. And then we see, uh, fifthly here, the safety of the woman. The safety of the woman. Notice verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Three score days. That's that phrase we've been looking at over and over again. That if you take the number 360, which is what their Jewish calendar was based on that many days in a year... Uh, you divide that 1260 by 360, it comes up to three and a half years. This is that second three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So notice, as we're going to see later on in greater detail, all, the f all of the fuss during the Great Tribulation is going to be over the nation of Israel. Uh, she is going to be hunted. She is going to be hounded like an animal pursued by attack dogs. Uh, God, again, is going to protect her because one of the things we, we have seen in the Scripture, and you've seen it throughout history, is that Israel cannot be assimilated into the nations, nor can she be exterminated. By the nations. And so in these last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist, remember we've already talked about this, he's going to break his covenant with the nation of Israel. He's going to go and sit in the very Holy of Holies in the rebuilt temple that we talked about before. And he's going to declare himself to be God in the flesh. Jesus warned of this period of time when he spoke to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15 and following. Here's what he said, Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, and that's that occasion of, of the Antichrist going into the temple, profaning the temple, uh, sitting there uh, and, and professing himself to be God. That's that, uh, that abomination of desolation. When you see that that's spoken of by the da prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee 
to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Talking about this great tribulation. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. This is going to be a terrible period of time. But God is going to secure the nation of Israel because notice what verse 6 said. The woman fled into the wilderness, speaking of Israel, where she has a place prepared by God. And so God is going to take her to this place that he's prepared. That phrase only appears one other time in the, in the New Testament. Do you remember where that's at? To a place prepared for you. Who says that? Jesus does. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And one day I'm coming back to take you to be with me. So just like Jesus is preparing for us a mansion in heaven, God is preparing a hiding place for the nation of Israel on earth. But then God is also going to supply this nation of Israel because he's going to feed her for that three and a half year period described here as 1260 days. He's going to sustain her and meet her every physical need that she has, that they should feed her there for a thousand two hundred and three score days or 1260 days. So we see uh, about this woman. The second thing we want to see comes in verse seven. I want you to see the stunning war. The stunning war. Notice that it says here uh, in verse 7, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Here we're introduced to a war in heaven. Now it's interesting to see that the great tribulation begins with a war in heaven, but it's going to end with a, a, a war uh, at, at Armageddon on this earth. Uh, that's a strange thing because heaven would be the last place that you would think there's going to be a war. I mean, we think of heaven as a place of happiness, a place of peace and tranquility and joy. But this scripture tells us there's going to be a war in heaven. Everywhere else in Revelation, heaven is described as a place of worship. But now we see it as a place of war. Notice the vision here of the war. Notice the, the participants in this war are, are Michael and his angels versus the dragon and his angels. Now, the reason Michael is chosen to lead the charge is because he's not just merely a messenger angel. He is also a warrior and a soldier. He is God's field general, if you will. He also happens to be the great defender of the nation of Israel. You read in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, Daniel 12 verse 1, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people. 
and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been seen since there was a nation till that time. Talk about the tribulation. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Michael is the great prince uh, of the who's placed in charge uh, of the people uh, of Israel. Michael's the commander of the angelic army in heaven. He's also the guardian angel of the nation of Israel. The name Michael literally means one who is like God. It's ironic to see that one who has a name uh, with this meaning defeats the one who has the ambition to be like the Most High God, as Isaiah 14, verse 14 says about the devil. It may surprise you to realize that right now Satan has access to heaven. Contrary to our popular belief and popular opinion, uh, Satan's not in hell. He's not been cast into hell yet. Uh, for now, he roams this earth uh, and from earth to heaven. Uh, if you'll remember uh, in the book of Job in chapter 1, verse 6 to verse 12, uh, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From whence have you come? Uh, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And he goes on to talk uh, there about bringing the persecution against Job. There we're told uh, of the two primary activities uh, of the devil. If you'll read those verses in verse 10 uh, of Job uh, chapter 1, it says, uh, have you not put a hedge, this is the devil uh, accusing the Lord, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on, on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. One of the primary activities of the devil is to accuse the saints in heaven. That's what he's doing uh, of Job there and that's what he does of us. He also attacks the saint on earth. If you read verse 12 of that chapter, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Those are the two primary activities of the devil, accusing the saints and attacking the saints. Uh, but the time is going to come when Satan will forever be cast out of heaven and will no longer have access to it. Notice also the violence of this war in verse 9. Uh, verse 9 says, well, we'll read verse 8 after they fought. It says, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. That's what's yet to come. Uh, verse 9 says, and the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. So there we know who this red dragon is. He very clearly tells us here, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And so notice the word thrown down or as some versions use there, cast out. It literally means to be expelled in a violent fashion. He is literally thrown down, kicked out of heaven. The war is a violent war. Uh, the, the word fought in verse 7 means it literally means to make violent war. It's a violent war because it's being fought by a vicious uh, and vigorous enemy. If you want to know how God really feels about the devil, then notice very carefully verse 9. This is one of the most exhaustive descriptions of the devil uh, in the Bible. He's called four different things. Each of those that illustrates a part of his wicked character in this verse. He's called a dragon because he's strong. 
Uh, a dragon is a picture of, uh, of some fire-breathing, man-eating beast that kills everything in its path. He's called a serpent because he's subtle. And that also takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, the word serpent literally means the shining one. So, so don't get the idea that the devil, that Satan is some hideous, ugly, evil-looking creature that wears a red suit, horns on his head, the goatee, the mustache, carries the pitchfork. The Bible says he can transform himself into an angel of light. And when he was that serpent who deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden, he was one of the most beautiful creatures known to man. He's also called the devil because he's sinister. The word devil means slanderer or accuser. That's his specialty. He loves to slander the Savior. He loves to accuse the saint. He'll lie to you. He'll lie about you. He'll lie to you about you. Uh, he'll tell you that you're lost when you're saved. He'll tell you that you're guilty when you've been forgiven. He'll tell you that you're weak when indeed you're strong. And then he's called Satan. Not only the devil, but he's also called Satan because he's shameful. That name Satan means adversary. He's the adversary who deceives the whole world. He's the one who opposes the one who deceives. Jesus said in John 8, 44, he's a liar and the father of lies. There's no denial that the enemy that is fought and therefore the enemy that we face is powerful. The devil is malicious. He is a vicious enemy who means to do us harm. But take heart because there is victory in the war. Victory in the war. We see the victory in heaven in verse 10. He says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. So in verse 9, you read that the devil was cast out. Now in verse 10, we see that he's cast down. Satan is down and out for the count. And from the moment that Jesus went up, Jesus, Satan went down and he's on the way down even now. Satan has been cast down from his position as an angel. He'll be cast out of heaven then and then he'll be cast down into the bottomless pit and forever he'll be cast into the lake of fire forever. If you go with the devil, you're going with a loser. But we also read not only a victory in heaven, we read a victory on earth because notice what verse 11 says. And they have conquered him. Speaking of, of those who are on this earth who have trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. We're given three keys there to victory over the devil. They happen to be three C's. Notice them very carefully. The first C is the victory of cleansing. The second is the victory of confession. And the third C is the victory of commitment. First, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That's the cleansing. First John chapter one, verse seven says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his, of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. 
So we get the picture there of cleansing. The only thing that is deadly to Satan is the blood of Jesus. The only thing he fears is the cross of Calvary. Remember we're told in verse 10 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Here we're in heaven's courtroom. There's a judge, God the Father, district attorney, the prosecutor, the devil, and then the defense attorney, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, For he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. When Satan stands before God and accuses us of wrongdoing and sin, God the judge looks over at our defending attorney, the Lord Jesus Christ, and says, Do you have anything to say? And he puts his hands out and simply points to those nail-scarred hands and said, I plead the blood. The gavel comes down, not guilty. The devil may try to call you dirty, but if you're under the blood, you are clean. What God has called clean, let no man call unclean. The only sin that Satan can hold over your head is the sin that you never put under the blood. And we sing about it, don't we? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the what? In the blood of the Lamb, the precious blood of the Lamb. But they also overcame him by the word of their testimony. That is, by their confession. It's not enough just to put your sins under the blood and to be cleansed. You've got to let others know about that cleansing. Tell others about the salvation that you have. You need to be vocal and verbal about what God has done for you. Satan's greatest desire is to silence you as a Christian. You, you need to learn to give your testimony uh, to those around you, to those who are lost. A Christian with a testimony is worth a library full of arguments. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, one of the reasons why it's so important that you be constantly talking about Jesus is because it'll strengthen your faith, it'll encourage the saved, it'll warm your heart, it'll give you the confidence and the power of the gospel, it'll win the lost, and it'll glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. But thirdly, they also overcame, because notice what it says there in that verse, for they loved not their lives even unto death. That is by their commitment. They were totally committed to the Lord Jesus. They had made up their mind that they were going all the way with Jesus. Live or die, sink or swim, once and for all, now and forever, every inch, every ounce, every nerve, every fiber, every ounce of strength within them, every muscle was given over to the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it meant their death question for us tonight is, do you love life more than death? Or do you not love your life even to death? Jesus said that those who try to save their lives will lose it. But only those who lose their lives for his sake will save it. Their philosophy was in this passage, We'd rather be dead than red. So we have here three wonderful words about the Savior, about Satan, and about the saint. The Savior went up, Satan went down, and the saints can go out in victory. We're going to stop right there. We're going to come back to verse 12 and finish that part next week as we get into the, the picture of the beast in verse 
in chapter 13. But what a way to stop here on the victory of the saint. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have made the way where there seemed to be no way. There was no way we could earn our salvation. It was only through what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, his blood that was shed on the cross and giving us eternal life to be resurrected. Father, I thank you for that gift that you have given us. Father, I pray that we will put everything that we, uh, every sin that we commit, that we would confess it. You've told us if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. You cleanse us with the blood of Jesus. So I pray you would do that tonight. Whatever sins that we may have, whatever thoughts that we may have had, whatever actions we may have done, even those things in private, uh, Lord, maybe things that we have said to others, maybe things we have done or maybe things we have not done that you commanded us to do. Forgive us and put those sins under the blood. Father, help us to be faithful to share our testimony, to share with others the good news of, of what we've received, that salvation that is by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let us boast not in ourselves, but in Jesus and what he's done for us. Then, Lord, I pray that we would be totally committed to you, totally sold out, not loving this body, not loving this life more than the life to come, not loving this body more than we love you. But, Father, being willing to do whatever it takes to give every ounce of who we are, to give our lives completely to you, to be used by you in whatever way that you will for your kingdom work. Lord, bless us. As we're looking here in the book of Revelation, Lord, help us to, to realize here's that keeping of the word that we can be blessed in. Help us to apply those three things that we've read about tonight. That of putting our sins under the blood, making sure we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and then confessing our sins before him. Making sure uh, that, we have, uh, that we have not only uh, confessed our sins and been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, but that we are, are, are telling others our testimony, uh, that we are sharing other, with others the good news uh, of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be faithful to do that, to have confidence in the power of God to share that testimony. And Father, I pray that you will help us also to be committed to you whatever it takes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us there online. Sorry we had some issues and some problems there. Uh, looking at the comments, I don't see any comments there of any prayer requests. Thank you so much for joining with us. We'll be back again Sunday morning at 9.15 uh, for Sunday school. So come join us in person. We'll be live streaming uh, again Sunday at 10.30. But we encourage you to come join us in person. Uh, you'll receive a, an even wonderful blessing just being here uh, to fellowship with other believers. So come join us then. We'll see you this Sunday. You have a blessed week.